0: What's up, y'all? I'm matteo And I'm Mike. And we are
1: on Patreon.
0: Get on the bus, you guys. Get your bus pass. We put out an additional episode every week where we answer questions from you. Or sometimes we may just get off on a tangent about something important or cool that happened that day or a couple days ago
1: yeah so Teal and I catching up and you are invited so if you head to patreon.com slash comes a time pod you can join us Uh, you can get the bus pass we have some incredible merch coming soon Uh, we've got a lot of great surprises so uh, we would love to have you guys head on over
0: yes most of all we want to connect with you so uh, get on the bus y'all
1: Welcome back to comes a time. I'm Oteo, and I'm Mike and we got another great one for you guys this week um, from Chicago beyond and uh, I mean a real superhero uh, Liz Dozier. I mean this one again a favorite an instant favorite.
0: Yeah I told my wife if there's any for these podcasts, you don't want to miss. This is the one I've already said that like four times, (laughs) but really this is the one she, she has an amazing story of, uh, turning around this high school in Chicago called finger. That was, uh, just, you know, in such bad shape. Like she said, you can't even call it a school. Like what? we couldn't imagine our kids going through this at all. And, um, Mm -hmm.
1: Urge of collapse, really.
0: Yeah, and she turned it around and, and then after that started this program called Chicago Beyond, which, you know, it's kind of empowering people and, and going even beyond Chicago, like the name says. And uh, her story's just unreal.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's a, another one of those, you know, great interviews that we did that just showed vulnerability, openness, like breaking down and, you know, disrupting redefining and rebuilding and it's what we're all doing right now. So uh, it was an honor to interview her. She'll definitely be back. Um, another instant friendship. So, um, absolutely, she had some great quotes that uh, stuff that I wanted to touch on that we
0: didn't get to, but there's, you know, she was talking at one point about, uh, kids being written off and they're just, Oh, these are the bad kids. And when I was doing research into her, she said this thing, uh, we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done. Yeah, dude. And, and that self-by-self-west South South West talk. Yeah. None yeah. yeah. of us is as good as we can be. She's like, you know, these are kids. You have them look at them, they're like, we look at them as super predators or like the boogeyman or whatever. You know, it's like, these are kids.
1: Yeah, some children.
0: Yeah. yeah. Some of them are trapped in some crazy stuff. Some of them are in some violent situations. Some of them are causing violence. But, you know, look at the situation they're in. Like right. at, it's love that. It's that, you know, no well, person left behind kind of attitude that she has. It's just.
1: Dude, it's so funny that you said those two quotes because those hit me. I listened, I heard that about two hours before we started with her today. And, and what followed that was what her mother said, that when you have one finger pointing out, you got three pointing back at you. And that's another, you know, so take a look at yourself before you judge. And that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it all boils down to, it's, it's education. It's the future human rights. So yeah. um, we're, we're honored to have her and you guys will love the interview and we love you for listening. And uh, this is coming to you on Osiris, which we are a proud member of the Osiris family. You can check out all the pods at OsirisPod.com. And uh, you can check out our Patreon where you get a bonus episode with Otiel and I at com- uh, Patreon.com slash comes a time pod. You can send us questions, stories, questions on past episodes. And we uh, chat, We get deep, we leave you some homework. It's a real fun time. So uh, join us over there, get your bus pass and uh, enjoy this episode. We'll catch you soon, everybody.
2: Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lakes Tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lakes CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD Chocolate Fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown.
1: Welcome to back to comes the time folks. We have Liz Dozier with us today. Hi Liz. Hello. Look at how cool you look in that awesome room.
3: <laughs> you know, just saying it's what I do. It's what I do.
0: You said it was a phone booth in your building.
3: It is. So Chicago beyond, which is an organization I uh, founded about four and a half years ago, just finally moved into its own space in the uh, West loop in Chicago. And so we built out the space. And so part of what was really important to us was to have it reflective of all of Chicago. And so art is a big part of Chicago. Um, Communities are a big part of Chicago. And so we had um, local artists. This particular artist is from Pilsen, uh, which is a, a, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, primarily Mexican neighborhood um he does this thing called graffiti calligraphy and so you can't really see it because we're kind of zoomed in on it because it's you know focused on you know neck up but uh if you were to pull back you would see that in this graffiti calligraphy he has a statement that says I'm not free until we are free and so it's pretty cool it's black and white you know pretty cool uh pretty cool room to be in. Very tiny, but very cool. (laughs)
1: The the, the coolness of that room, and it's a tiny room, makes me think that that entire office is filled with amazing art from top to bottom, Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, all
3: local artists. Yeah. Cool. All local artists.
1: Stimulating place to work for sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. We wanted to feel relaxed, right? We wanted to feel like You could come in here and see pieces of Chicago. You kind of, if you're a Chicagoan, you could see yourself reflected in the space. So oftentimes you go into like, you know, quote unquote office spaces and they're just so sterile and so dry. And we wanted it to really reflect the vibrancy of communities, uh, what they represent here in Chicago. So yeah, you gotta come by and visit once we get off, you know, our COVID lockdown quarantine life, you gotta come by and visit.
1: I'd love to I love Chicago. I love Chicago. Yeah. Such a great I, I, I performed there a couple times and gone to concerts there and it's just what a what an unbelievable city.
3: Yeah, it is. It's complex, but and it, it is as well as it is beautiful. Yeah. Sure.
0: <laughs> I, I was really struck um, just watching YouTube's on you and watching you talking. Uh it's so many of the themes that we cover on the show, especially recently with, you know, since George Floyd, um, you just were hitting every one of them. I was like, yeah, be my yes, you know, especially what you said about disrupting uh, and disrupting the status quo. That's a huge thing for me, you know. But before we get into that, let's uh, t- let some of our viewers that may not know you, uh, know where you started like finger is it was that high school elementary or up through high
3: yeah, so I started at, I started my principal career, school principal career at Finger High School. And so just to give the audience a little kind of flavor in case you're not from Chicago or from the Midwest, uh, Finger High School is located on the far south side of Chicago. At the time when I got there, it had about 1,400 young people, so ninth grade through 12th grade. And it was one of the lowest performing schools in not just the city, but in the state of Illinois. And so what that looked like was, There were, um, you know, I think 1,400 kids. We had about a 20% dropout rate every single year. 20% of our kids are dropping out. We had about a 40% graduation rate. So if you walk into our doors at Finger High School as a freshman, like only 40% of that class would ever graduate from high school. Uh, There were 300 arrests inside of the school building, not on the school grounds, not two blocks away from school, like inside of the school building that that first year. Um, it just was not a place you would want to send your worst enemy in terms of, like, education. It just was, um, I don't know how you can describe it. It just, it just wasn't a school. Uh, and so, <laughs> yeah. but it was supposed to be a school. So um, my team and I were there for six years and through work with, you know, community members and parents and kids, like, over time, the school shifted. And so that we didn't change the kids, the community didn't shift. It was all about giving young people what they needed. Um, and, you know, everything from anger management to grief counseling to um, academic interventions, tutoring, I mean, it's just, just making the school a place of safety, a place of like, where people could come and like, be who they are. Roseland's a very complicated community where the school is. A lot of violence, a lot of things were happening. And so when we did that, those simple, basic human things, or just human things, the things we give, we give our own kids, our own nieces or nephews, or sons or daughters, it shifted. And so that graduation rate went from 40% to over 80% the dropout rate went from 20% every single year to less than 2%, it was like 1.1 or something. And the arrests went down from 300 a year to less than 10 per year. And it became a place People literally came from all over the country from, you know, as far as like, California, down in Florida, we had people come from overseas, from Japan, from the UK to come and see what was it that we were doing at Finger High School because we didn't change the kids. The kids were the same kids um, to see those shifts and stuff. So that's wow. a little bit. Of the background of Finger High School.
0: That gets exactly to the point that I've been the most mad about and that I reiterate the most times. You know, like I don't know what the level of uh, investment, money to just personal investment that was over that six year period, but I'm guessing it was more personal investment, like straight from the people to the parents to the kids, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. That was incredible turnaround. So think if it, if these communities weren't defunded, right? You know, they get mad at us talking about defunding the police, but I'm like, you didn't blink an eye defunding the community of, like, everything, right? And it wasn't yeah. even really uh, controversial. Like that that guy in the interview you talked about, um, he said, uh, you know, 24% of these kids are, don't want to learn anything, and, you know, we shouldn't throw money at them. That's just another way of saying you know, we're not going to give it any money. We're just going to defund it. Yeah. It's that bad. It's just just unpatriotic, really. Like, why would you throw your own kids away?
3: Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I just never got the human element of that. You know, like, it, I always think people can say those type of things because they're not interacting with kids yeah. like they're their kids. Like, nobody says for their own children, well, you know, let's just, like, throw my son or daughter away. People give their last and their everything to make sure their kids are successful. And unfortunately, like some of our communities, I really feel like we haven't even given our kids the first step. And when you look at when we got to Finger High School, and I think about just some of the basic textbooks and how education was structured. I mean, it wasn't even like the kids were getting the bare minimum bottom basic education. It was like below even what that is. And so, I don't know. I just think that if we looked at our educational system as if it was truly an investment in our, in our country's future, which I believe it is, <laughs> you it's know, the like, investment in our country's right? future. <laughs> I mean, like we, we wouldn't be doing crazy things like funding it based on property taxes, you know, but right. I, I won't go down that whole train, but you know, I mean, it's just kind of like, we just,
0: but that you know, is can the whole better. train. Like, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's the train that we have to disrupt.
3: Like, yeah. You know, yeah.
0: These are American kids. Like, you know, just throw them away. What are you doing? Totally. It's insanity. You, you, you need to treat them like you would your own kids, you know?
3: And every other, when I think about, I said this in a talk I gave a couple years ago, I was talking about simple things like, you know, Amazon and Airbnb, like how these respective industries have been completely like born out of like nothing and they were disrupted. They disrupted the hotel industry, how we think about moving in the taxi, you know, that whole industry completely disrupted. But yet like we still haven't disrupted the way we educate, you know, our young people, especially when it comes to those young people who are, you know, most living in poverty. Uh it shouldn't be that way. Because we have we have the capability to move fast. You know, we have the capability to do better.
0: Especially with the technology, right? I totally. Mean, it's the will.
1: Well, it's, and also it's the, a lot of those people when you had that team. And I mean, the unbelievable part of you doing that, it's your first principal job. This is your first gig and you get hand, you know, it's, that's, it's not like you had a couple of schools to practice on, you know, you cut your teeth, <laughs> it wasn't
3: all up. <laughs> but I'm sure
1: that that took a lot of, you know, you being vulnerable and saying, I need, I need help. You know
0: I, need, yeah. I when you were saying like, hey, I gotta confess, I did something wrong. Yeah. like I made this board. <laughs> I basically just categorized everybody kind of the same way society does. like these are the worst ones and these are kind of halfway. maybe we could save them and these are the best. and then you were like, okay, that's not gonna work.
3: Yeah. I mean, I really thought it was, I mean, guys, I thought I had figured something out. Okay. I was going <laughs> to categorize these kids. And if yeah. you're in the red zone, you're rolling up out of here. And then somehow all the green kids and the yellow kids, we all going to, you know, they're going to do fine. And it just, it didn't work as much as I thought it was going to work. It didn't work. And that's when I realized, you know, we can't arrest our way to excellence. You know, we cannot, right. you know, with kids, especially like this idea of like, we're going to just Load on punishment and load on consequences. You know, it was this. It, it just doesn't ultimately get us to excellence. What we had to do, and what I personally had to do as a leader, was really shift the question from "What's wrong with you?" Because I, I would literally walk in the building some days when I got there, and I would look around like, "What is wrong with you? Like, what is what? What is wrong with our? What's wrong with these kids? What is?" I wrong? do that
0: with my own kids now wow. <laughs> I'm like
3: what is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Wrong. Have, it's crazy. But then, what really shifted the whole game for us is when I changed the question from "What's wrong with you?" to "What's happened to you?"
2: Yeah. And
3: that's a different. That's a totally different question. And when you and you come from the. And questions are important because they lead us ultimately down the path to answers. Or at least how we're going to approach a solution. And when I changed that question from "what's wrong to you, what's wrong with you" to "what's happened to you," it fundamentally shifted how not only I showed up every day with fourteen hundred kids, but how, as a school community, how we showed up in relationship with our kids and how we tried to best serve their needs. You know, so mm,
1: that's amazing. And mm-hmm. I think with disrupting, it automatically comes redefining. Right. So when you take a look at a, yeah. a school system or any system, an environment like a school, and you disrupt past beliefs, you have to look at okay, what are we calling punishments now? How do we deal with um, in-school suspensions? Is it you know you put put students in a room and they just sit? You know, I I, I read about uh, some schools that used meditation as a form of. Um, it wasn't a punishment. It was more just quiet time and in the morning yeah. and, and before you left school. Um, did you implement a lot of different strategies like that where you would say, like, let's redefine what a reward is. Let's redefine what a punishment is.
3: Yeah, we did. And actually, right before I decided I was going to leave Finger High School, we were on the meditation train. Like, I really wanted to institute meditation at the beginning of, of the school day and at the end of the school day as a part of just how we did school. Um, ultimately, I left before I got to see it through. But um, we did, I mean, I think we had to. So when I think about um, simple things, you know, like, let's just, well, I'll use a very, 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 very simple thing, but like graffiti. You know, there was this idea, if you look at the uniform discipline code for the school district at that time, you know, if you, you know, let's say you rile over a wall or throw gang signs up on a wall or whatever the thing was, You know, there was this idea you would then have either a suspension or you'd have some type of like punitive consequence. And so that okay, let's say you do suspend the child, you put them out for two days because they wrote on the wall. Ultimately, what does that really teach them? Because what they really did was harm to the community. So they made the actual physical environment either not as safe or you know they they kind of muddied it, if you will. And it's so much more powerful to instead of like just putting the kid out of school, to actually have that kid sit down and have a conversation and help them understand how they did harm to the harm to the community, the school community, and then have them actually repair that harm. So instead of having the jan- instead of having the kid out on a two-day suspension and then janitors there like cleaning the you know repainting the walls, like sitting down with that kid and then having a conversation with that child, then having that child go. Fix what they actually did, and it's just a much more powerful way to do it. And so, we were big believers in restorative justice. We were big believers in proponents of peace circles. And so, when kids would have conflict with one another, um, we would have peace circles. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with those at all, um, but uh, those type of things.
1: A peace circle to uh, us probably might mean something a little different being um, in the <laughs> concert world.
3: <laughs> well, it's definitely not the concert world peace circle. I'll tell you that. It's definitely not that much. You need like a
0: nationwide peace circle right,
3: <laughs> right I know, really. Right. 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 Um. Wow, so yeah, there were several things that we did. And ultimately, uh, what I learned at Finger helped me, you know, it's really built into the DNA of what I'm up to now, you know, which is that like, Truly, like all people like regardless of their zip code, you know zip codes are one of the biggest predictors of life outcomes, which is to me just abysmal, like in the United yeah. States of America, but it's true, um but all people regardless of zip code have the, should have the chance to live their fullest human potential, and we need to be supporting ways to do that really
0: uh, that's my big thing personally is this whole boot bootstraps bullshit, you know because <laughs> it's just not true, you know, like my son. You know, I grew up in Southeast Washington. My son has a way more, you know, nice bubble than that, you know.
3: Mm-hmm, and
0: mm-hmm. Um, he's going to a small private school. And it's like his bootstraps are very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: was, I was like, I don't want to hear that. You know, like,
0: yeah. we don't just leave everybody to, you know, fend for themselves. While well, these parents go into jail for paying their way in their kid's school, you know, like, no, nobody's doing that. We're all either, either the country helps or we all help each other. Or you just like, you know, don't give a shit about the sons and daughters of America or part Mm -hmm. of them anyway, you know? So I really, uh, I really wanted to get into that with you, you know, like, I guess going out of finger, that's kind of what you're doing more with Chicago beyond just. Yeah. So I left,
3: Fanger probably, it's been five years ago now. And I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do. I just really had no idea. I traveled for a bit. So I left Fanger and actually, I should say why I left Fanger. So I left Fanger because I was so tired of losing students. So we we had, this was a lot of violence in the neighborhood. And as a result of that, we had a lot of kids die. And so I was always the principal who was most um, invested in and involved with my kids who were sort of on the, on the fringes, you know, of, of, of choices that weren't the best for their lives. And so they might be involved in gangs or those types of things. And so, you know, unfortunately, I just lost a lot of students. And I, my, last, my final year at Fenger, I went to um, a young man's funeral, Shamari Salter, and Shamari had graduated from Finger and went off uh, to college and then unfortunately was sitting in a car one night and was just gunned down with him and two other young men who were in co- who actually were in college. They were kind of home for the weekend. And I was just so, there's something, and I don't know if you guys have, hopefully you have not been, but if, maybe maybe some of the audience has, but like if you've ever been to a child's funeral, versus like an adult's funeral, there's something that's yeah. just so distinctly disturbing of hearing like mothers mourn for their children. It's always the same across every funeral. I've been to dozens of them, with dozens of kids that I have known that have died. And so I was just tired. I was tired. I couldn't emotionally, like I was like, I cannot bear yet another young person that I know. Um, and then the second thing, I remember sitting in my office that, that school year and I was meeting with a special education teacher and we were planning... I um, was helping her plan, you know, her lesson plan for uh, for the day, the next day. And we were sitting there, you know, maybe like within a couple feet of one another in my office at a table, and we heard gunshots. And she, she said to me, she's like, is that somebody shooting outside? And I said, yeah, I think that is somebody shooting outside. And so we got up, we looked out the window, we couldn't really see anybody, probably like seven shots or so were fired. And both of us, because she had been there for longer than I had been at Fingers, she had been there probably, gosh, maybe 10 years even before I had been there. And we both kind of sat back down. And This is now, again, this is my sixth year at the school at this point. We both sat back down and we decided we finished lesson planning. And school's in session, by the way. There are kids actually in the school building. This is not like, you know, it's seven o'clock and it was, kids are there. And like, neither one of us thought to call the police. Not that we thought about the police and said we're not going to call we didn't think and not because there's like some type of underlying issue with the police at that point it was more of about if you can imagine being in a community where gunshots become almost like like singing birds like you know if you ever heard singing birds when you wake up in the morning but you don't really hear them they're kind of like in the background and that's what it had become and so you know i decided to leave and that you know some i had done all i could do we had you know those numbers I told you about, graduation had gone up, dropout had gone down. We had all this, books had come out, TV shows had happened. Like I felt I had an all I could do and it was time for me to move on. And so, you know, I traveled for a bit. I was in Israel. I went to um, Italy. I was at a friend's farm out in Ohio doing a whole lot of nice. nothing. <laughs> With the cows. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, just like there. And then that's when I had the opportunity Uh, To start something from scratch, and that's why I started Chicago Beyond. So,
1: yeah, that's great. You did took that self care time. Yeah, yeah. Burnout, leader burnout is a uh, is a huge thing. And and you know, you talk to anybody that's in a position of being told no by the municipality over and over when you say, "I need funding, we need resources, we need teachers, we need better health care," and they go, "We don't have it." But I'll be back in three weeks. I have to, you know go on my yacht around the uh, you know the lake so that's the problem quite a bit but also you know what I wanted to ask you was like the tv shows the documentaries the the exposure the media exposure was that um it obviously opened up a lot of eyes and it probably opened up a lot of eyes about other communities where they said we can do this have you heard about any of the you know, um, trickle down effect that that you had caused with other schools that you maybe got started or got implemented.
3: Yeah, so I'll answer that, but I want to come back to what you guys were, were starting on. Like, I'm curious of what you think changes that. Like, 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 like the like what changes that setup, that dynamic of like people kind of pushing schools and communities away. And oh, we'll get to that later over there. I got to go do this over here as if that's not important. I'm, I'm curious what you both think about that. But I'll answer your question first if you want. Um, but I'm curious, like, you, know, you go first. I want to, I what changes is that? Because that, that has fundamentally got to shift.
0: <laughs> corruption for me always. It always comes back to money. Like I yeah. can list everything. Every facet of society that's wrong ecologically, spiritually, scientifically, you know, economically, it just all seems to come back to money. Like money is the most important because, you know, there's one way you could kind of continue the whole school to prison pipeline thing. There's a lot of money being made. There's money being made off the drugs in the community. There's money being paid to a lot of public officials to let these Gazillion dollar enterprises go on, while Eric Garner is getting killed over selling Lucy cigarettes. You know, what I mean, and then there's money being made in the system. There's money being made off people in the private prisons. It's like there's you can make money off these kids if they don't die. You know, and uh, the guns. They're making money off the guns. They're making money off the drugs. So it's that's my big thing. It's like how you fight the corruption.
1: You know. Mm. And I agree with you. And and we talk a lot about how, you know, this whole thing is just keeping the poor fighting the poor (laughs) so the rich can do what they want. But um, I think also it's a lot of uh, justifying someone's position. Hmm. You know, like if you look at what's going on with uh, Congress, somehow Hmm. can't figure out how much we deserve in unemployment and how much we deserve in (laughs) pandemic relief. And they take a two week recess. and. I mean, it's literally like a starving person is having a sandwich passed over their head and they're going, well, we don't have to give them three quarters of the sandwich. Maybe give them a bite for the next three weeks. And if they didn't get a bite last week, give them two bites. But we can't really figure out how to give them what they need. We're going to need two weeks to think about it. So are we going to my golf course or are we going to yours? Mm. And that's just, I feel, (laughs) if that's the, the example of government, then why wouldn't smaller governments who are basically just kind of ankle biting? <laughs> why don't, you know, they're, they're it's kind of like perception is reality. You do what the big, what the pros do. Hmm. I, I think a lot of that has to do with just the way that it, I don't, it, it, it's sad to me that I, I think that there's it's a big, huge thing about this is just admitting that they don't know. They can't admit that they don't know what's going on. They won't take the time to go into your school and see how much money is needed. And like you said, you don't throw your own kids out. I think a lot of this is out of sight, out of mind. And it's justifying their positions. If it takes them longer to make a decision, if it takes them longer to make a decision, then why would anybody get rid of them when it comes to contract renewal time or election time or, you know, anything that has to do with, you know, give me another year in my seat. Let's just stretch it out. I mean, it's pretty simple that, you know, the money gets put in the wrong places. And if it mm-hmm. gets put in the right places, then <laughs> maybe we won't need them anymore. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's you know, that the, holding on. I guess if the,
0: if I could see, you know, you just do like if the drugs wouldn't be allowed in a richer neighborhood, it just wouldn't be allowed like that to that level. But because they're poor, because they're black or brown or, poor white whatever you know like it just get written off so cool. i don't know how to defeat that but i i what you were your uh theme about disrupting the status quo i mean mm-hmm. you ever feel like it was going to get you killed mm-hmm. like you know if you call it, out, <laughs> you know because that's people don't like it if you mess with their money you know
3: yeah. I mean I don't think I ever felt like that. I feel I always built really great relationships. And I'm i just always from the fundament I just always have believed that, that there's narratives about people in communities, um, and about violence. But when you really peel back all the layers, it's a bunch of human beings. And honestly, I don't think they're any different than the three right. of us. And so for me, you know, I'd I'd be out in the community with the, you know, like, I just remember one time we were, the New York Times had come and they were doing some type of story. And I forget, this was like, you know, in the middle of my principalship, so probably like year four or something like that. And they'd come out to do a story and they sent a photographer out. And so the photographer, it was on the weekend. And so it was myself, another gentleman named Steve Gates, who actually works with me now at Chicago Beyond, but at the time was with me at Finger. And he worked with a lot with my young men who were, you know, in gangs and trying to make better decisions and get out of that life. And so Steve and I went out to go, you know, find some kids out in the community and they were going to do, we we're going to do like this, you know, have a conversation and they were going to do some pictures and blah, blah, blah. And so we show up on the block. Okay. It's a Saturday. We show up on the block to this trap house. Do you guys know what a trap house is? Or is that? For the listeners. Clean? For the for listeners. Not for you guys. I will explain for listeners. <laughs> So a trap house is basically like a, a house that is like abandoned, but people will go in it and they'll have parties or those, you know, smoke dope or whatever the thing is, like in, in, in the house, but it's an abandoned house. And so it's usually like really run down. So we pull up and we're kind of riding around the block looking for the kids. Finger high school is a neighborhood school. And so we pull up and we see all these kids, like, you know, who are involved in, you know activities that are not legal and they were all outside of this house, probably like 20 kids. And they're sitting there in the middle of the day. And so then, you know, they see the photographer person get out who they don't recognize and, and nobody moves. And then they see, you know, Mr. Gates, Steve Gates get out, and you see them kind of like begin like they kind of like, you know, moving their heads and looking like what what's Mr. Gates doing here? And then I get out. Keep in mind I'm in flip flops and a yellow dress. It's like Sunday, okay? Or Saturday. I get out and then somebody screams like, it's Miss Dozier. And then like all the kids go running. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> all the kids go running. And so I just say all that to say that like, you know, relationships matter, you know, yeah. like, and like we have this perception of like kids who are in gangs or kids who are this and the day they're kids. You know what I'm saying? Like we're here in my yellow dress and flip box. What, what the hell do you think I'm going to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but they're kids. And so I never really, I never feared I feared for my kids' lives, you know, because of the experience of burying so many of them. But I never feared for mine uh, in terms of would somebody intentionally try to harm me or shoot me. I mean, I feared at times like, I would accidentally get shot, you know, in a crossfire or something like that. But Never, like, would somebody would try to harm me, you know. Um, well,
0: I wasn't thinking the kids. I was thinking public corruption. <laughs>
3: public <laughs> corruption.
0: <laughs> but that's well, a great, that's a great story, though, to realize, like, you know. When we're talking about policing, you're in yeah. flip flops and a yellow dress, and the big bad gang <laughs> was scattered. <laughs> you didn't have a gun, you didn't have a badge. You didn't have, You had a relationship with them. They're like, "Hey, you know, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing right now." And so, y'all, you know, and that's beautiful. Like we need to. The police should know about that. Like that the police were from the neighborhood, or I don't know what the solution is, but I know if you could do it without the badge and the gun. <laughs>
4: If we could change things, you know? Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far. Feel good.
1: Where did you... Um, you obviously have a huge heart and a ton of empathy, and it seems to come naturally. Uh, some people, unfortunately, have to you know, learn it and, and force it every day. <laughs> but even listening to you at when you gave your speech at South by Southwest, you talked about learning... Vulnerability from some of your students, um, what was your school background like? Did you have a good experience in high school and you know coming up?
3: Yeah, I mean my it, it, my school experience was not bad. I mean my mom was a nun for twenty years before she ended up leaving the convent, and then Abison had you know had me um but You know, she was a big believer in schooling, education and Catholic schools. And so we went to both my sister and myself went to Catholic schools from basically kindergarten all the way through uh, 12th grade. And then me, my mom was really clear with, with me, like, you know, once I'm going to, you know, take care of schooling up to 12th grade. And after 12th grade, you're on your own. You figure out your own college, your own loans, your own whatever you got to do. I'm not helping. I can't do anything else for you. Mm-hmm. But I never really had a, a, a bad experience um, with school. I think for me, I realized because I was like in a private Catholic school and we did not have money. My mom was a, a Catholic school teacher. Um, you know, she worked summers as a motel maid at like, you know, motel eight, she worked summers, um, at Burger King's, like she, 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 you know, worked random jobs in the summer to help be able to afford to send my sister and I to that, to those, you know, Catholic schools. Wow. So I, I realized we did not grow up with much to say the least. Um, but I realized that, you know, through that kind of being in that different environment that like there were people that had a lot more you know and that there was a way to hopefully you know live a different type of life where everything didn't have to be a struggle because we struggled a lot growing up so
1: yeah You, you, you mentioned the uh you know getting to senior year and then kind of you're on your own you know that's that's something that you and i have in common and my senior year you know we were talking about money how it's a money machine how you know, school, right to jail, uh, in the suburbs, in a, in a middle-class, you know, New England suburb, um, not rich, not poor, kind of right down the middle. We were being pressured. If you don't go to college degree, if you don't get a college degree, you're going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to study for the SATs. You have to get this score. You have to apply. If you don't get a college degree, it's like not having a high school diploma. And then you get to college, you take out all the loans, that you need to, because my parents couldn't mm-hmm. afford school either, and they right, said you're right. on your own. And I took out all these loans, still paying them off. I have a master's, I'm still paying it off. But then when you get to campus, there's tables set up. Sign up for this credit card and get a free Blacklight poster, or a free Bob Marley poster, or a free t shirt, or whatever, you know, and everyone's just signing it up and getting mm-hmm. credit cards. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. you're in that debt circle student loans, credit cards. Yep. Education is, is, I mean, how many trillions of dollars in student loans? Did you feel as someone who had the trust of a lot of students that were going into that transitional period in their life, were you able to have those tough conversations with them where maybe college isn't the right, because perception, again, is reality. And we were told, you, you know, you're a ditch digger. Or you're a landscaper if you don't go to college.
3: Yeah, I mean, I did. Like, I, I want to know what you guys think about this too. Like, I, I don't believe everybody should go to college.
0: Like, uh, I don't think that amen. is like the. I never went.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, I
2: <laughs> and I did it, so.
3: <laughs> it's the, you know, I went, and it's, it's, it, I mean, it's it, for what I wanted to do. You know, at that time, it, it made sense. But I just think that sometimes we sell kids like this false you know, notion about everybody has to go, everybody has to go, everybody has to go. And I don't think everybody has to go. I think there are really great careers that you can have with without college. And so there were many a conversations that we had not just myself as a principal, but like their school counselors or social workers about like what viable options really were based on what the young person really wanted to do. You right. know, I think we have to get out of that mindset in our country. And this is probably the worst thing to say as, as, a, as an educator, but I, think, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's true. I think we set kids up for a failure because I can't tell you how many kids I've seen go and then leave midway through a year or two in. And now you're saddled with, what forty fifty thousand dollars worth of debt, you know, and
1: and you don't have a the college degree, the almighty college mm-hmm. degree to get that job that'll pay you mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. more, and mm-hmm. then you live a miserable life doing a job that you don't want to do to pay off those student loans that you were yeah. tricked into. So it's yeah. very interesting to think about, you know, the two different you know sides of the city or the town, urban and suburban, that are both funneling just the dollar it comes back to money and, and, mm-hmm. and
0: always this you yeah. know in a society like this that won't provide the tuition for the kids you know like if everybody's going to go to college go to canada and do it because you know here you, you know you're going to be saddled with this unbelievable they're just they're milking you you know so i would definitely say in this country maybe you find your own way you know i
1: guess Without, yeah I've thought about, too, those transitional years where it's like maybe your senior year of high school into your freshman year of college is more geared towards those, you know, life decisions, adult decisions on, you know, how do we get, you know, you you spend two years doing liberal arts, right? At most colleges, Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're taking Mm -hmm. your, you know,
1: I took singing because I had to have an art credit. I took, you Mm -hmm. know, I took these classes that I really didn't need. If I were able to shorten the span, focus on what I wanted to focus on, I could have got what I wanted to get done. I had an English degree. I got published. Great. It's all because of my advisor. She's the only one that kept me in college. But if I just was able to go rapid fire through two years, it would have saved me half the money. I would have maybe, you know, finished earlier. And it's just, I don't think everybody should go to college and I don't think college should be college. I really don't. It's so, it's just this whole disrupting, you know, your, your perception.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And how do we change no, that? No, I totally
3: agree with that. I think it, it's interesting. I think to, for me, the biggest thing always as a principal was let, let's just have every child prepared. Like I think that's, that, that was my big thing. Like a, a child should be, by the time they graduate high school should be college ready they should be equipped with all the skills and tools and, you know, things that would make a person college ready. But then they also needed to be equipped with information to make the decision that isn't right for them about which path to go down. I think unfortunately what happens, especially in a lot of our urban environments, is, you know, kids are either told you will never be able to do this and so you're on this path of, you know, you need to be, you know, a, a, a janitor or whatever it may and be. And I'm saying wrong with being a janitor, but <laughs> say it again. I'm sorry, Otiel. In prison, is where they really yeah, right. Or something either different. I think then part of that is because I think in our country, especially with young people who who are in poverty, we we give them what amounts to I but uh, I forget the guy who says this. He calls like a sharecroppers' education, and what he means by that is like you know we give oftentimes our poorest young people. You know, access. is like this bare minimum, bottom basic education that allows them to just do basic stuff. You know, you can be the security guard, you can be the janitor, you can, you know, be the checkout person at, at the grocery store. And not that those jobs aren't; those are okay. But like, let us give again. Let's let's prepare our kids, have them college ready, so they can make the choices that are ultimately best for them. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, here at Chicago Beyond, which is the organization I started after Finger was, is is to really make sure that, you know, as we support different organizations, just making sure that kids just have opportunities, they just have access, and that they're not denied those, what I think are basic, fundamental human rights, you know, just to live a a, a free life,
0: so. It's crazy the things that school doesn't teach, you know, like,
3: Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm.
0: back to the old days of home ec class and whatever, like, you know, I, th- I thought I saw something. You were talking about a guy fathered somebody. He was teaching. Uh, it was just a class for uh, new fathers. Yeah. So my, I'm a recent father, even though I had my first kid at 50. And so you're just sitting there with this kid, and you're like, "There's no really, there's Help. no class they could have taught Help. you in high school to yes. just do the basics." Like, you know, you just uh, thank God for your parents if you if they if you happen to have them. You know, and uh, it's just, so stuff like that, I think, you know, they should put in high school, you know? Yeah. What that, was that? The prog- Father somebody?
3: Yeah. So the program is actually called the dovetail project and it's uh, run by the, this executive director, uh, Sheldon Smith, who is phenomenal. He got the CNN heroes award a few years ago. He's just an incredible um, and he's he's one organization that we invest in. So we, we Chicago Beyond essentially invests in uh, organizations that are positioned to support our communities in ways that are like critical to like their thriving. And so I've really positioned us to be not so much about charity, but I think that's one thing, but really about like, justice work. We've had to root ourselves in justice work. And so thus far, we've invested in the last four and a half years, almost like $35 million across our city in um, different organizations, different initiatives since 2016. Um, But beyond that, beyond the dollars, there's a whole team here at Chicago Beyond. There's 10 of us. And we are geared towards helping those organizations succeed. And so everything from helping them build up infrastructure to strategic planning, to like whatever it is they might need to help them grow. And not like in some paternalistic way, because, oh, we gave, you know, the dovetail project, for example, a million dollars. Now we can tell you what to do, but rather Sheldon's a really smart guy. We're some smart folks. We're at the same, you know, play, mm. we're at the same level. Let's work together to help, you know, let's work together to help, you know, grow that organization um, without the power dynamics being involved in that, which oftentimes, charity does it brings in like this you know i'm giving someone some pittance of something and you should be thanking me that i'm giving you this i just don't believe that like this is justice work you know like there's a reason why those dads are out there in the situation those young dads he's trying to help are in the situations that they're in so
1: you would you yeah. would rather just leave the bag of money on the steps and when they wake up, it's there. and They did not even know that it was you. Congratulations.
3: I would, have, I would rather not even leave the money with stuff they didn't know it was me. I would rather acknowledge why they need the money. Like why are our communities in the state that they're in? They're not there because black or poor people or brown people are lazy or dumb or they don't care. Like there's there's structural things that have existed in our country, like structural racism and redlining and things that actually, you know, Lead up to where we are today, and so when I say we're rooted in justice work, it's really acknowledging that, and then you know making sure that we are truly walking hand in hand with our partners and helping them fight the good fight on behalf of our our young people. So yeah, it's
0: phenomenal stuff is hard, man. Especially when the violence at some point you gotta, you know, you're brushing up against the violence and the corruption, and the whole thing, the evil money machine that keeps it going it's gotta be really tough, you know, but, uh,
3: yeah.
0: I thought, uh, you know, this guy, Anand Giridharadas.
3: Oh, yeah. Ge- he's uh, like, he looks Indian. Adna- don't
0: know what his actual ethnicity, but he has a really.
3: Yeah. Mod- he's got great hair.
0: She's got a great hair. <laughs> Adnan
3: he wrote hair. Uh, yes. He's got great hair.
0: <laughs> but that I, his whole thing, I was, I was interested in what he said about, you know, the philanthropy with strings attached, you know it's like fake philanthropy, you know so and so gave you know billion dollars to historically black colleges, you know it's like, okay, what is that what you know what does that come with so I really dig how you're approaching that to like to deal with the why and not uh
1: not put the strings on it
3: you know? yeah. yeah i hope uh, do, you,
1: do you see yourself laying out a footprint for um other states other uh, parts of the country. Um, you know, I think it's something we all need to realize that like the experience in Anchorage, Alaska, isn't the same as it is in, you know, Miami, Florida, but it's issues everywhere. So do you feel like there's a, you know, Chicago beyond is clearly a, you know, a beacon for other communities. Do you have conversations with folks all over the country on how to, you know, set out on the path of, Writing these wrongs?
3: We do. That's actually funny you say that. So that that is the beyond. That's why we named it Chicago Beyond. The work was always meant to happen here in Chicago, but the ideas were meant to travel beyond Chicago. And so I'll give you a couple examples of how that's playing out. So one, we're working with um, the third largest school district in the country, which is Chicago Public Schools. And we're working to develop a one-of-a-kind blueprint for like holistic trauma supports for over three hundred thousand kids. That's a lot of kids, and we know that our kids, like just by virtue of walking back and forth sometimes from schools and particular neighborhoods, like there's like little these many traumas and things that happen in, in homes and in neighborhoods. And those kids might come to school, and they may not be the ones who are acting out or even bullying other kids. They might be doing anything, but they're still suffering from the effects of trauma, as are, honestly, some of the teachers. Yeah. Totally. And so we're de- developing this blueprint. Um, it's actually being piloted this year. We've been working on it with Chicago Public Schools for over a year now. Um, and it's, it's, it's rolling out um, this year, even amidst COVID. Uh, it actually ramped up the us working together and making sure to get that out. So it's one. Um, and then and, and that that will travel, right? Because Chicago Public Schools is positioned how it's positioned in the country. Like people will look at that and see that and that 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 blueprint will ultimately travel out. We also, for example, uh, created a guidebook on how research can be done more equitably in our communities. A lot of poor communities are often over researched. And so we wrote this guidebook called Why Am I Always Being Researched? And it's been downloaded. Oh, wow. That's, that's <laughs> great.
0: And nothing yeah. changes, you know? <laughs> Right?
3: Why am I... the is
0: just the research,
3: right? Yes. There was a kid that asked us that question. He said that's literally how it came to the title of the guidebook, was because this kid said to us, who was in one of our programs, he said, he literally said, "What his name is Jonte. He was like, why am I always being researched? Because like, why are all of these researchers in my community? And like, wh- whatever happens with that? And so we wrote this guidebook. Wow. We, we've been kind of thinking the same thing. So we wrote this guidebook and um, we title it with what he said, why am I always being researched? And it's been downloaded in more than 70 countries and more than 50 states, like, and the Gates Foundation, which is like the Mecca of all the foundations, um, is using it to help guide their um, kindergarten through 12th, Grade research standards as they're redeveloping their research standards to become more equitable specifically as it comes to education. So wow. there's a couple examples of our work, you know, how it moves, but you know, it's everything from how we even responded to COVID. You know, like we had a huge food effort that we did. We got out over, we fed, I think over two, roughly like 10 weeks or so. We got out I think it was like 1.2 million pounds of food. We fed like 60,000 families, got 1,000 gallons of hand sanitizer out. And so that could be construed as charity. But what we did, instead of just giving it to organizations, um, we set up these, we they set up like these networks for them to communicate with one another and so it was more of like a mobilizing and grassroots ground effort for them to move food into those nooks and crannies where food wasn't Hmm. getting despite like city efforts and so i just think that you know we try to we can't tell anybody what to do but i think there's a better way to do philanthropy and that's essentially what we're trying to do so
1: that's that's phenomenal and i think that that one of the the Sentiments of that is that I think a lot of people don't know how to ask for help
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that there may be certain people in certain communities that are just like I don't know what and just like some certain people are like How do we help? I think there are some folks like you said to mobilize and say like let us know what you need If there's you know hunger in your community, let us know Like we don't know unless like I think there's there the lines of communication and resources like that are so vital because mm-hmm. it's, there's no shame in saying I need help mentally, financially. I mean, it's important to be able to be vulnerable and say like, you know, I'm I'm in need right now all the way down to a student that's experiencing trauma, walking from home to school, walk in and be able to say like, you know, I'm I'm in need of some assistance right now. Yeah. Well, if your school- We're so
3: disconnected.
1: Yeah. 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 If your school a, a, is an actual safe haven that
0: can provide that, you know, uh, then it's a good thing. But when it is, when everything is disrupted and disconnected and just, you're just screwed, you know? Yeah. Just we hung out we had,
1: government. we had an episode on mental health, uh, with these folks that run a, for musicians, touring artists, their families about, mm-hmm. you know, life on the road mm-hmm. and to be able to like create a support system for, Folks that are, you know, in need of mental, a lot of folks' existence with COVID was wiped out. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and what I what I had a hard time, you know, thinking about, and I, a friend of mine that's in education, told me this was that, you know, a lot of f- families depend on school systems feeding their children. Yes. During the school day, so that's added expense. That's added stress. That's added. There's so many. So the point of like, when we were talking to those folks about mental health, I mean, setting up, like you said, just a support system of anxiety, new anxieties are coming from all angles. You're like, oh my God, now I have to feed them lunch. Like, that's gotta be such a heavy, you know, weight to bear.
3: Yeah. I also think too, like COVID is just, in my opinion, the COVID-19 is just our nation's report card on like racial equity. Like it's our report, it's our report card on how we're doing overall, and I think that in so many areas we failed. Like we were seeing, you because know, we were getting into the nooks and crannies of communities, right? We partnered with over 50 organizations and, you know, small organizations across the city to, you know, get this food moving, and we were seeing people line up because, you know, they got used to it. It was like a routine, right? They got used to. You know, on Tuesdays at, you know, X organization, there would be these boxes of food that if you get one, it essentially feeds your family for an entire week. We were seeing people line up for food for like an hour or two ahead of time to make sure they got a box. And to me, what that signal was great, I'm glad we're doing that. But it, it is a fundamental justice issue there when we think about like, what if the hell is going on in our country where like people have, they're not making enough These are no, working people, not people who are like, you know, like, like, yeah. like who had lost like a job and didn't have like enough saved, you know, to like be able to like afford groceries that next week. And I just think it's like, how do we treat all of our citizens? What, whether it's regard to healthcare or like education, but like, you know, I just, and I'm not, pro- you know, proposing like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, just, I just think we've got to do better as a country. You know, we just got to treat all of our citizens better, you know?
0: I, I've been saying uh, recently, I, uh, and I got this from Anand and a podcast that he did with uh, Andrew Yang. And he, he was saying, you know, the marketing is terrible. It should be uh, looked at in the context of patriotism and loyalty. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. you should make the commercial like, you know, a Normandy. We didn't leave anyone behind because we're America, and you, you wave the flag, and, you do, and then you go, and healthcare is the same way. We don't leave any American citizen behind. Yeah. How come all these other countries that are capitalist allies of ours, first world, Nations, everybody has their education provided for, everybody has their health care, and there's no private prisons. You know it's not that the government isn't like preying on its citizens. It's because they look at those citizens as the sons and daughters of Ireland or Australia or wherever you know, Spain, and we just don't look at our citizens that way. We I guess don't look at all of us as humans, because it's really mm-hmm. even beyond the sons and daughters of this nation, they're just humans. Yeah, it's like, yeah. with yeah. your brain. You know, how do we zip, get zip, brainwashed some people aren't humans and just screw them? Yeah, that's got to be disrupted for sure.
3: <laughs> totally. Uh, and I don't. You think uh, about? Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to add one thing that I, you know, I'm not saying substitute socialism or communism for capitalism. Right? You know, because I think human nature. Like, the poor people end up getting screwed <laughs> in every system. Mm-hmm. We can look at examples of each one, you know. So there's something just basic and human that we got to, like, get back to. You know, like you say, it's justice. I just think we maybe should frame it differently because when they hear justice or social justice, or something, they just go blank and they're like, wow. Ah.
3: yeah. But we all rise together, which is what I say. There's like there's like this, this triple bottom line of like, it's not just that, you know, that if we were to give people access to healthcare or a living wage or those things that those people just do better. We do better as a, those families do better. Those kids do better, those families. And ultimately, I think we as a society do better, Like you know, um, but I'm with you. Better,
0: right? Like if, if all those people are spending more money, then capitalism's doing better.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just a long-term versus short-term capitalism i guess you know it also boils down to in all reality if anybody thinks that this system is working right now then i i can't you know i've got some magic beans to sell you because this is just i mean i saw (laughs) i I, i've seen (laughs) i've seen interview after interview online from local news networks talking to folks who you know, and for no reason do they have to share their past. But never been unemployed their entire life, mm. and due to some of them working in senior centers, planning activities for elderly, and now they're unemployed because of COVID, and due to, um, you know, a miss, uh, um, like like a a glitch or a technical error when entering their name or some clerical mistake they haven't received their unemployment. They're spending all day, mm-hmm. every day on the phone. They're begging family members for money. And then they say, oh no, everything's working great. Nothing is working great. And it doesn't matter what town, what state, what city. It's, it's, it's like the curtain's been drawn, you know? And yeah, to, to disrupt is somehow, it asks vulnerability. It asks mm-hmm. for, you know, like some transparency so yeah an interesting it's it, uh, i love that word though i love like to, it, again just like Otiel said you know sometimes people hear social justice or defund it's kind of like whoa 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 whoa.
3: Yeah, yeah, disrupt yeah.
1: and redef, redefinition of what we're going for is uh and it's not smoke and mirrors it's it's just real like we talk racism we talk you know it's human rights it's just it's oh, humans
3: yeah Yeah. Just human beings. We're just so far away from each other. Sometimes I think that's part of the problem is like, as the, you know, racial wealth gap widens as like the rich and poor, like things just widen, I think we're just, we're so disconnected from each other. And I think if we were more proximate to each other, um, we wouldn't see it as like that. We wouldn't otherize and think about that other person over there. It would be more about my, my neighbor or my, someone I know, but we can tell these stories and have this otherizing happening because we're, we're just not proximate to each other in this in the ways that I think really matter to help us make decisions. Because really, and I've always believed this since I was, I can't even tell you, probably definitely since I've been teaching, but but the, the power is, is always with the people. Like we could, I believe, we could change the system as it exists now to exactly what you both are saying and they could change, you know, rapidly and fast. The powers with the people. I just think it truly is up to us as individuals to to vote and vote people out of office and be conscious and be aware of what's going on and be relentless with our politicians. I mean, we saw how, you know, fast that first stimulus check came out. I mean, things were moving and grooving. And I mean, stuff was, you, you know, and then all of a sudden it stopped. And I, I just think really it. it the powers with the people and we can we can do better you know we can yeah. do better
0: yeah. Well, yeah, you're I doing it, i think one of the things that inspired me so much about bernie sanders and tulsi gabbard too was you know they didn't say oh because i've heard a lot of my liberal friends and so oh, what's the shame about citizens united that if we could just get my i'm like no you don't have to wait to, for citizens united to be overturned you know what you could say I'm taking money out of my politics. I'm not taking money from anyone but you Mm. like, wow, they just made the change. And I think that's what's uh, blow my mind so much about what you're doing is you were just like, I got to wait on any, we're just going to make the change right here on this level, even with just, you know, the small contribution. And you handed out $35 million to people that are really, that's amazing. That's Mm. the kind of, you know, Mm. So I'm not going to wait for you guys to refund the community. Guess what? We're going to fund We're it ourselves. ourselves. So I I think you're like a superhero. And I, <laughs> oh, so and you got me fired up. You guys up are kind. Car. You're are too car. kind. You guys are too kind. Get on it. You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sure. do something. You know. And and I'd imagine you're uh you're a hero to a lot of young women in uh, the Chicago area. That have you had any, um, junior Liz. Dozier's, uh, are you mentoring? Are you mentoring?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm sure like you guys are too. Right. I mean, like I think all three of us have had some semblance of what people would say is success in some ways. Right. And so I think we all do it. Right. I I think it's about like, you know, giving back and, you know, connecting with people and giving advice and spending that extra used to be going for coffee, but now I get into zoom chat or a phone call, you know, with people and kind of helping them, you know, yeah. make decisions and stewarding people along. And somebody did it for me. I mean, somebody, my mentor, Don Friend, who was the principal of uh, Jones College Prep here in Chicago, um, who ultimately got tapped by um, Arnie Duncan, who later became the U.S. Secretary of Education under Barack Obama, but he was here in Chicago first, leading Chicago public schools. Arnie tapped my mentor, Don, to become like the leader of all this turnaround work. And Don is the one, turnaround school work here in Chicago. And Don is the one who ultimately uh, tapped me and took a risk on me to become the principal of Fenger High School and you know, the rest is history from there. And so um, he was a huge mentor of mine, a huge supporter of mine. So I try to do that for other people too, just like I'm sure you guys do too. That's
1: awesome. So, well, you're so, yeah. a better job of it than I am. <laughs> We haven't handed out 35, 31 million pounds of food yet, but we're working on it. <laughs>
0: it's just the investment and in, in specific people, you know, it's just like, yeah. well, I just am in awe of that and I, I'm in it. but it's not too late. You know, South Florida's got a lot of needs and you've inspired me to kind of plug in. I'm going to find it here and Try to just put some energy on it. I got a lot of energy. Well, that, that's
1: actually a, a great point. And, uh, like, for the people who do want to get involved and people who do want to help, even in their own communities or at large, like, can you recommend? There's so much information out there that sometimes you Google it and then you're like, yeah, never mind. I'll just play, you know, poker again on my phone. <laughs> so, is there, can you recommend, like, where folks can go, you know, locally or on a broad community level? To help with education,
3: yeah, I think I, I, I guess I'd almost like back up and just say that I think sometimes really to help with education, first we have to understand how the education system got to be where it is, and to understand some of the disparities that exist in education, um, especially when it involves like race and people who are in poverty. And so, I would recommend they can go to our website at chicagobeyond.org. We just did a um, uh, we're on the third part uh, of a four part series where we're kind of did these um, town halls, if you will. And we recorded them. We've had up to, I think it's now now like a hundred thousand people join us, which is like crazy. Wow. I'm like just did not even know that many people would even come to our little shindig on, online but um but uh you know we're, we're we're just unpacking race and then we after and you can see so they can watch those videos they can also get like these toolkits where we talk about some of the historical elements there so i encourage them to go to chicagobeyond.org but also i would just encourage people to get closer you know like it's it's not the thing over there and so see what's happening in their local school districts to see what's happening potentially in school districts or schools like across town to just become in, in, in informed voters. I think so often time, and I, I feel almost embarrassed saying this, like, you know, when you go vote and you're voting for like judges and politicians and stuff, like, you know, you're just not always aware of like, for me, I'm not always aware of all the different like people and what they represent. And so I've committed to this year, like, using like websites to help me find out like, what these, what do these people stand for when it comes to education? Like, how are they, you know, like, I just think it's, it's just being informed and educated, you know, is a, is a big part of it. Fantastic. Yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, what do you think people need to do in terms of.
0: As need communities, you know, I mean, like I, I think about, there's a a lady down here uh, that was, running for office. And I started following her because she was very progressive and trying to oust someone very bad. That's one district over for me. And she, I went to a couple of her uh, rallies. This was up during the primaries. And I saw some people at the, in the local community there that she brought up to speak, you know, and I didn't know who they were, but I learned who they were from being at her rally. And I'm thinking she's one of the first ladies that I'm going to call. Because she knows mm. where the need is. She's in there on the ground. And that's where I can all I gotta do is show up and go, How can I help? <laughs> they'll be like, You get over here and do that, and you go over here and do You got a car? Okay, we could do you know, I'm sure they'll yeah. put me to work. Yeah. You need to show up, you know. Oh, you yeah. play okay, blah, blah, blah. You know. So that's why I say just like there's there's people in need everywhere. If, wherever you're at, there's somebody in need within you know 15 minutes probably That's
3: true that's so true and
1: and and i would say that i think that what we can do is interview the liz Dozier's of the world you know and i mean that (laughs) there's 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 heroes in all uh all pockets of our country and uh no matter what maybe one of them is getting their first principal job right now and and they're (laughs) you know going to be you in 10 years in their community so i think it's a matter of uh giving people an outlet to listen and learn and a platform to share messages uh yeah i think that's extremely
3: important but yeah that's so huge mike that's huge but i think people think that there's only like they look sometimes at communities and they might see you know the two or three community leaders but like you're saying there are so there are like thousands of them here in chicago like only a few of them get shine where people recognize them but like there's thousands of them and so utilizing like what you guys have like this platform to put people on and to like allow people to see their work is so powerful cuz it, it in some ways validates them not right. not to for themselves but for the outside world it yeah. validates them and it makes their work real quote unquote you know do you know what i'm saying like and Absolutely. there's there's power in being validated by the you know, powers that be, or by the establishment, or by TV, or whatever the thing is, that helps people do their work in more bold ways. So yeah. that's really good.
1: That's awesome. Good. Well, we got the thumbs up from Liz O'teal, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> two
3: thumbs up, two thumbs up. We'd love
0: to have you <laughs> back. You know, uh, yeah. you did a whole episode on race, and uh, I remember you talking about, coming from a biracial background, how it helps you to relate to people that felt kind of on the outside of things. And I would Mm -hmm. love for us to be able to talk to you about that because, you know, my, my family and my mom's side, you, you can't tell they're not white. You know, that was part of our episode on race. So I grew up with people that look white and black, but all being considered black but still negotiating all that, even just within the black community, right? So your experience is like what my son's experience is going to be. And then me and my wife, who's white and from North Carolina, we adopted a little girl from India. So we're like thinking about even the kids' books are all different, you know, trying to- I love that. This whole thing. So I'd love to get you back to talk about some of that specifically, you know, sometime in the future.
3: Anytime. Yeah, I'm, listen. It's COVID.
1: I'm, I'm I'm here. I got that.
3: <laughs> I'm on Zoom. You just you know Zoom. We'll Zoom up. You know, I'll come. I'll get a cool background again. Yeah, and we'll just, you yeah. Know,
1: Pick just... another t- pick another telephone room so we can see <laughs> some more local art. And Chicago,
0: by the way, just as a quick thing, I love because this guy, whoever did this graffiti, was probably going to get suspended for all this stuff, and now he's got a job. It's like, yeah, hey, you're an artist. How about
3: putting him the He didn't paid a lot of money yeah, <laughs> to do his yeah. artwork. See? It's all over Chicago. I mean, he, the guy is like, he's making money. Let me tell you.
1: Good. I love that.
0: You know, yeah. Extended and then in the system and whatever, you know, it's like, come on. So thank you for yeah. just on every level. You're just amazing. And uh, yeah, oh, it's an honor same. to have you. It's it is. Oh, you. thanks
3: guys. Thanks so much for having me. I was so excited when I got the invitation to come on. This is oh, a really big deal.
0: It's our pleasure. So thank you. You.
1: I'm like, you've been on CNN and
0: shit. We're just-,
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're just two dummies. Um, where can you, where can folks follow you on uh, social media?
3: They can follow me at @lizdozier Liz Dozier and Dozier spelled D-O-Z-I-E-R. And they can also follow us on Chicago Beyond. They can go to our website, chicagobeyond.org. It has all our social media channels or Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook, all that good stuff. Awesome.
1: So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. the time.
3: Thank and we'll you. We'll have you back.
1: And thank you, listeners. Come back uh, next week for another episode of Comes to Time. Everybody, peace.
0: We love you. Bye.